the passage we're going to be looking at is actually from Jesus' time here on earth. And uh, I truly believe that this has something um, beautiful to speak to our hearts, uh, even in this day and age today. I've requested Sarita to read the passage for us. It is John chapter 8, verses 30 to 44. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I come not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Amen. This is God's word. Shall we just uh, look to God in prayer before going into the talk this morning? Lord, we thank you, uh, because in your grace... You have made it possible for your word to dwell in our hearts. Um, It wasn't ever ready for it. It wasn't ever worthy for it. But in your grace, you have come to our dead hearts. You have brought it to life. And you have renewed it so that we can listen to your word. We can hear the truth of it. And we can feel the freedom that it brings to our hearts and see Jesus in it. We worship you, Lord. Continue to speak to us even through this sermon. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The topic for uh, this morning is enjoying real freedom. Enjoying real freedom. These are the three things that I'd like to look at. Uh, The first thing is What freedom are we enjoying? Second thing is understanding our freedom in Christ. And third thing is the power to embrace the freedom in Christ. These are three things that we'll be looking at. Let's dive straight into the first one. What freedom are we enjoying? What's happening in this passage? Jesus here is in conversation with some Jews who actually didn't like him. They were, in fact, planning to kill him. We see that in verse 37. Uh, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. 
But at an interesting point in this conversation, they come to a place of actually believing in him. They believe in the words that he said, that he is a son of God, he came from the Father, he is going back to the Father. You can read that in the previous verses of this chapter. And it says, many actually believed him. And Jesus is speaking to these Jews who are planning to kill him, but now have heard his word, and now are in a place of belief. At this crucial point in this conversation, Jesus is pressing in closer to these people who believed in him and he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the very Jews who believed in that moment are offended by Jesus Jesus telling them that you are not free and you need to be freed. And their response is, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that you will become free? They're saying, we are not slaves. Jesus, check your facts. We are free. We are the offspring of Abraham, God's chosen person through whom a nation would be formed and the Messiah would come. Jesus is helping them see that their slavery is to their own sinfulness. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You know, the Jews in this passage took great pride in being the offspring of Abraham. They felt it made them better than anyone else. This became their righteousness their standing before God and before people. And what did this righteousness do? It gave them the freedom to do as they please. They were planning murder. So when Jesus calls them out on their slavery to sin and offers them freedom, whom the sun sets free is actually free indeed, guys, Come on, I want to give you this. They resist it and eventually reject it because they were enjoying the freedom that their own righteousness bought for them. So it is with us. We often fail to, we often uh, reject or fail to experience the real freedom in Christ, not because we enjoy being slaves to sin, but because we choose the fake freedom that our own righteousness gives us. Friends, look at the danger of this. The Jews felt so free in their righteousness, they were actually freeing themselves to murder. You know, it's our own righteousness that often frees us or permits us to sin. Think about this. Don't we feel this way? It's it's, it's okay you're doing this because you're you're generally a great person. You're, You're doing well otherwise. Like when people look at you, they look at you as a good person. Once in a while you can do this. It's fine. People are not perfect. When we stand 
in our own righteousness, it makes us feel okay to do something that is sin. It permits us. You're generally a good person. You're, you're better than 99% of the people out there. So this is fine. You know, the freedom that comes from our own righteousness is more appealing to our sinful souls because it does not convict us of our sinfulness. It in fact gives us the license to engage in it. I'm overall a good person. So this, this, this small thing is okay. And sometimes it even blinds us to our sinfulness. We don't even consider it sin anymore because we feel we are so good this doesn't feel like sin anymore. Friends, what freedom are you enjoying? How does the freedom in Christ actually work? Jesus says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is definitely probably the top 10 most quoted Highly Instagram-worthy scriptures from the Bible. We use it in various contexts. Jesus frees us from depression. Jesus frees us from anxiety. Jesus frees us from fear, etc. All of this is true. But when we see the verse in the context, Jesus is specifically talking about freedom from our own sinfulness. That is what he actually frees us from. If you, read, if you read the Bible, you know that this is to be true. That's the primary thing he frees us from. But friends, there's something more beautiful for us to see here and enjoy. Let's see how he's actually freeing us from our sin. As we've seen before, Jesus is talking to some really difficult Jews, right? Who actually believed in him at one point. And in dialoguing with them, he tells them many truths about themselves, about himself. And one of the things he says this is, is in verse 24. He actually tells them, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And they believe him after this point. It says many believed him. So they believed this also to be true. But the thing they had problem with is when Jesus said the truth will set you free and they genuinely believed that they were already free because they were Abraham's descendants and this was their righteousness. You see, they believed that they were sinners but they struggled to believe that only Jesus can set them free. So it is with us, right? In today's culture, you, we, we don't need to be followers of Jesus to say that we are broken people. We, we love authenticity. We, we, we want to be vulnerable with our brokenness. I am sinful. I am imperfect. And, and you don't need to be a follower of Jesus to do that, to, to acknowledge that. The Jews knew they were sinners. That's why they offered sacrifices year after year. But the problem was when Jesus said, that it was him who could set them free. Because they genuinely believed that being Abraham's descendants already made them free. And after this, 
Jesus engages them in what seems like an ugly debate. You know, whenever I read this before, I'm like, Jesus, why are you even talking to these guys? I mean, they, they don't deserve this. They are just back answering. I mean, especially in our Asian culture, can you even back answer to our parents? And here are these people looking at Jesus for everything that he's saying, but we are this. But we are that. Jesus, you don't need to engage. Why are you talking to these people? I often felt like that. But when I meditated on this a little more, I got to see the gracious heart of Jesus in steadily uncovering the various layers of their righteousness that these Jews were hiding in. First, they say that they are the offspring of Abraham. Then Jesus says, you might be genetically offsprings of Abraham, but you are not doing what he did. First layer off. Second layer. We have one father, that is God, the father. Jesus uncovers that layer. If God were your father, you would love me because I came from God. After uncovering these two layers, Jesus helps them see the utter ugliness of their sin. He says, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Jesus basically uncovered every layer of their own righteousness and showed them through light on the ugly sinfulness of their heart. You know, Isaiah, a prophet who lived centuries before Jesus, describes this situation like this, the situation that these Jews were in. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Friends, what Jesus was helping them see that their righteousness that they seemed to be enjoying and then the freedom that the righteousness was giving them was not righteousness at all. It was filthy rags. And Jesus was indeed freeing them from their own righteousness first. What does this mean for us? Think about this with me. When someone calls us out on our sinfulness, when someone shows us our sinfulness, what is the first thing that comes to our mind? At office, when our boss or colleague calls us out on something, what's the first thing that comes to our mind? What's the first defense that pops up? At home, when our our spouse calls us out on something, what's the first defense that comes to our mind? Isn't it usually, how can you see this? Why are you making a big deal of this? Can't you see all that I'm doing? Can't you see I'm going the extra mile? Can't you see how I'm loving you? At office, can't you see all the hours that I'm putting? I'm not getting paid for this, but I'm, I'm, I'm laying my life down for you. I know I struggle with this. 
we, we may, may not say it out aloud, but in our hearts, the first thought that comes when someone shows us our sinfulness is, why? Can't you see all that I'm doing? Can't you see, can't you see all of this? Why are you making a big deal of this? You know, in that moment, we run to the castle of our goodness and brood there until we feel better and justify our own selves and then come out of it. Allow me to draw this home to our hearts by this one question. What's the one thing about us that makes us feel like we are a great colleague or a great worker or a great manager at work? Or at home, what's the one thing about us that makes us feel we are a great spouse? That we are a great son or a great daughter or a great parent? The one thing that we feel makes it a delight for other people in our life to be associated with us. This is what I bring to the table. What's the one thing? Why is it important to look at this? Friends, this one thing is often the filthy rag that we are most likely to hide in when someone faces shows us our sinfulness. That's the first thing we'll hide in. Can't you see this? This is where the hard part is. You know, we might all desire, we're, we, somewhere we all have a desire that we want the sin in our hearts to be removed. Don't we all? We don't want to feel that mess in our hearts anymore. We, we might desire for the sin in our hearts to be removed, but we resist when Jesus wants to deal with the goodness or righteousness that we cover it in. Jesus, remove the sin, but don't touch these layers that I'm covering it in. A song that we sing together called Jesus, Your Mercy uh, by Sovereign Grace Music thoughtfully puts it when it says, Jesus, your mercy is all my plea. I have no defense my guilt runs too deep. And look at this. The best of my works pierced your hands and your feet. Jesus, your mercy is all my plea. Friends, here's the beauty of our freedom in Christ. He, of course, frees us from our sin. But he also frees us from every filthy rag of righteousness or our goodness that we cover our sin in. This is why freedom in Christ is so complete and so whole and so needed for our souls. Here's the primary difference between hiding in our own righteousness and hiding in Christ's righteousness. As long as we hide in our righteousness, it will in fact free us to sin. But hiding in the perfect righteousness of Christ frees us from sin by uncovering every filthy rag of our righteousness. Friends, hiding in our own righteousness is extremely dangerous for our souls. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a simple 
uh, thing that we can just lay aside and ignore for a while. No, it's very dangerous. Allow me to show us this from this very chapter. You see, the chapter from which this passage is picked, John 8, presents us with two kinds of people. It starts off with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Red-handed. And these very Jews and Pharisees bring this woman and telling Jesus, the law asks us to stone this woman to death. What do you want us to do? And Jesus says, he who is without sin, let them throw the first stone. And everyone leaves. And and leaving Jesus just with this adulterous woman. And he tells her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is the first kind of person we meet. The second kind of people we meet are the Jews and the Pharisees. Who come in, who are so offended by who Jesus is and what he tells them. When he uncovers this sin, that they actually end up stoning him. They threw their stones down when Jesus asked them to, when he told them he was without sin, stone the woman. But at the end of the chapter, we see them actually throwing stones at him, stoning him. You see, the difference between these two people was the woman caught in adultery had no layer of righteousness to hide and she was caught red-handed. No hope. Everyone saw her sins laid bare. The only thing that she could hide in was Jesus' righteousness and she found freedom. But the Jews and Pharisees had layers and layers of righteousness that had to be stripped away and it is difficult for them to receive this freedom in Jesus. We need to experience freedom from our own righteousness before we experience freedom from our sins. And Jesus offers this real freedom to us. The Jews didn't have the power to lay down their own righteousness and accept Christ's. It was very difficult to them, especially. So it is the same with us, right? In this culture, in this performance-driven culture where we are often required to put up our best, hide our flaws, it's difficult to lay this, this, our own goodness down and, 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 and embrace Christ's righteousness. How do we find the power to embrace Christ's righteousness and find freedom in Christ by laying down our own righteousness? It's easier said than done. Friends, why do we find any and every good thing about us to cover our sinfulness in? Here's the reason why. Because we are so ashamed to look at the naked sinful man on the inside. Forget anyone else seeing it. We don't want to see it ourselves. We never want to be in the situation that this adulterous woman was in, right? Caught red-handed, her sin laid bare in front of everyone else to see. We don't want to be unloved, abandoned, rejected by anyone left on the streets. So we, we find any and good thing, every good thing about us to cover this naked sinful man in. 
But here's how we find the power to let Jesus strip off all the filthy rags and hide in him. Friends, Jesus says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And, and how did the Son set us free? The perfect Son of God stepped into this messy, broken world, lived the perfect life, and then was clothed in the absolute, perfect, spotless, blemishless righteousness. No fault in Him whatsoever. But to free you and me from our sin, He willingly went to the cross and he hung absolutely naked on the cross. Friends, this is not just physical nakedness. The Bible says he became sin. He hung in the nakedness of your sin and mine on the cross. You know why he became naked? Because he willingly stripped himself of his perfect righteousness to clothe us in it and make us undeserving orphans, absolute free sons and daughters of this Father. When we look to the cross and see the perfect Son of God willingly strip this perfect righteousness and give it to us and hang in the nakedness of sin and shame, your sin and mine, we find the strength to lay down all these filthy, useless rags of our own goodness and say, Jesus, clothe me, please. Cover me in your righteousness. We cry, mercy, Lord, mercy. Followers of Jesus, allow me to speak to you for a moment. I'm really hoping that we're we're going to see now and experience what this freedom truly does to our souls. Let's ask ourselves, what is the goal of this freedom in Christ? What is the what is the end? Jesus, why are you freeing me? What's the end chief goal? Is it just freedom from our sin? Freedom from doing all the messed up things that we shouldn't? I think some of us feel like that's enough for me. I just don't want to be the bad person anymore. Friends, this is not the end goal. Then what is it? Is it, is it freedom to do the right and holy things that God expects of us? If you've grown up Christian, you've probably heard it before. It is not just, it's freedom is not just from doing the bad things, but it is freedom to do the good things that we ought to do. This is true, but it is still not the end goal of our freedom. Because if this is the end goal, then we'll still make it about ourselves. How much good we are able to do with the freedom that Jesus has given us. So then what is the end goal? This passage gives us a greater end goal of this freedom. Get verse 35 and 36. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's telling us the opposite of being a slave to sin is not just being free from sin. 
and free to be holy, but it is actually being a son and daughter of God. That's the opposite of of slavery to sin. Being a son and daughter of God. And he says the son remains in the house forever. Absolutely loved and cherished. Now why is this important for us to realize and how does this help experience our freedom? When we struggle with sin, we need not find the filthy rags of our own goodness fearing rejection from God. Rather, we boldly go to the Father clothed clothed in the perfect righteousness of His perfect Son and say, Lord, here I am. Your son, your daughter. He's not going to reject us. Absolute freedom comes in being sons of this Father. Which of you fathers and mothers, if your kid messes up, will throw him out of the house? If we love them so much, as imperfect as we are, imagine our father. So we as followers of Jesus, being sons and daughters, enjoy this freedom from our own sinfulness because we are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And in this space, we grow in experiencing the freedom. It is not out of fear of rejection, but in the delight of being his sons and his daughters. I feel many of us are trying to carry the weight of having to live the good Christian life on our own. We're trying to stitch our own garment of righteousness. At what point will I be a good Christian? At what point will I stop being a big sinner? Friends, this pressure can kill us and eventually reject this God because we will never be able to stitch a righteousness that is acceptable to God. And the good news is we already have one given to us in Christ. We are already loved, accepted, cherished sons and daughters of God the Father. And this is freedom indeed. No sin can remove us from the house of God. If you're someone who is exploring Jesus and don't yet believe in Him, what's in it for you? You know, you might be hearing this a lot in culture. I don't want to do anything with this religion or spirituality, all that matters is being a good person, a good human. While that is a noble desire to have, culture does not acknowledge our own inability to actually be the good person we ourselves desire to be. Have you realized this? You want to do the good things. You want to be a good person, but you know it's so difficult. It's so difficult to be the good human that we, that we desire to be, that this world needs. Jesus acknowledges our inability to be good and comes and says, Hey, I died for your imperfections. 
I know you cannot live up to this good standard that you are expecting from your own self. Forget my standard. But here, I'm clothing you in the perfect righteousness of mine so that now you are not living in the pressure of having to be good and failing again and again. But now that you are accepted and loved by this God, by this perfect and holy God, you are now free to respond to this love and to this goodness. Friends, only the goodness that we have experienced will we be able to show it to someone else. And if we have not received the perfect, spotless, blemishless goodness of Christ, the perfect love and goodness of Christ, we will never be able to show that to the others. And this morning, would you like to be a recipient of this goodness first? Experience it for your own hearts. Feel the power of it for your own hearts. Only in that lies our power to be these good humans that we desire to be. Jesus saves us from our sinfulness and transforms us. Would you like to receive this love and this experience His goodness? Allow me to pray. Jesus, we, we acknowledge the difficulty it is. We, we, we do not want to be vulnerable and uh, show the ugly, naked, sinful man on the inside. Uh, we don't want to see it ourselves. We're ashamed to look at it. Forget showing others. But this morning we look to my beautiful, our beautiful Savior hanging naked on the cross the nakedness of our sin and our shame stripped off His perfect goodness, perfect righteousness so that we can be clothed, we can be loved, we can be cherished, we can be accepted. Lord, where else can we find the power to change? Where else can we find the power to actually be good in this world? fix our eyes on the cross. May we never lose the wonder. May we never lose the wonder. The wonder of perfect, beautiful Savior stripping off His righteousness, hanging in the nakedness of our sins so that we can be clothed in His perfect righteousness. Free us from our own filthy rags. Free us to experience the love of our Father. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.